hello world, I'm Jared Cunningham. This is the Freelance Forum Autumn 2022 podcast series. Over the years, the Freelance Forum has been made possible by support from the National Union of Journalists and the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. You can download the Freelance Forum podcast from Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, and all good podcaster apps and on SoundCloud. This is episode number 44. Hope to talk on the subjects of uh, working in doing arts reviews and writing for overseas publications with Darren Mooney. Darren, I suppose, to start with, since I know you do a lot of comic book work, tell me your origin story. <laughs> yes, so I kind of got into this kind of almost by accident. So I studied law in college. I always wanted to be a basically a barrister. Uh, I had the misfortune of graduating in 2008, which was not a great year to be coming out kind of looking for work. Um, I ended up working in IT because I'd had a summer job in the industry, and they basically said, would you like to come back and would you like to have a living wage? And I was like, I do like both of those things. Um, so I ended up working in IT for a little while. And while I was doing that, I found one of the luxuries of having that job was having a bit of free time around it, having a great deal of kind of freedom once you were able to hit your targets. Um, so I, I began to write reviews and those were kind of a suggestion that came from somebody I was I was with at the time, my partner, who was like, hey, you talk a lot about movies and television, Darren. And while I appreciate the conversations that we're having, um, maybe you could like put that in a public forum. Maybe the internet could hear it um, as well as me. So that person suggested that I start a blog I thought it was a good idea. I began writing the blog, uh, which was the movie blog. It's still accessible online. I don't get to do as much of that as I would like at the moment uh, because I'm doing a lot more professional work. But basically, I would write reviews of whatever would catch my eye. I would write about film, television, theatre. You mentioned comic books um, and kind of like just write online via that. And how I kind of came to be a semi-professional um, journalist uh, was largely through just sheer luck. Um, through writing in that capacity, I came to interact with various people online, uh, whether in the Irish industry or internationally. Uh, I caught the eye of my editor at The Escapist, which is one of the, the American sites that I actually write for professionally. Um, he was on Twitter. He was looking for new writers on pop culture. Uh, he'd inherited the site during a tumultuous period. He'd lost a lot of staff. Uh, he hadn't been able to necessarily retain a lot of the talent that he'd been looking for. So he reached out to me and he was like, would you like to write professionally uh, for the magazine in the way that you have on your blog, in the way that you have on social media? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I would absolutely love to do that. And that's the kind of a relationship that I think has been going for three to four years at this point, which is which has been pretty great. And have you moved out since then to write for other publications in addition to Escapist, or is that essentially your, your main gig? I have been, again, very lucky uh, in terms of... I've also written for like the Irish Independent as well. Um, and I have uh, a regular radio slot um, on Friday mornings at the moment on Q102, where I review the, the kind of weekly new releases as well with Venetia Quick and, and Aidan Cooney. So those have been really... Um, again, that all kind of happened at once, a kind of a, a wonderful cavalcade of coincidences kind of overlapping with one another. Uh, where people happen to notice that I was doing this stuff and they're like, actually, we would like you to do that stuff with us. So uh, it's a wide and varied field, but The Escapist is primarily where I would write as a steady gig at the moment. So essentially this happened to you by accident. You didn't plan on getting into journalism in any way like that. It's, it was more a case of just something that you were doing as a hobby became a, a work job, mainly through Twitter, as you say. Yeah, I mean, like, this is the thing where, I, you know, I'm well aware of A, how lucky I am, and B, how privileged I am. 
in that one of the things that I've noticed in in writing and talking about film is that, and and I suspect it holds for journalism uh, in general because obviously you don't need me to tell you the state of the sector and you don't need me to tell you all the challenges facing the sector, um, but like it is very hard for somebody or at least somebody of my generation maybe to get into the sector in a way that it pays all of your bills it allows you to you know rent or, or buy a property to pay your your energy allowances and, and kind of meet your your sustenance requirements um so i got i was extraordinarily lucky in that i had a job that gave me the freedom and the time to do this stuff i know a lot of people who I would argue, and this isn't false modesty, uh, this is a genuine like opinion, a lot of people who are far more talented, far more insightful than I am, um, who had not were not lucky enough to be hanging around as long as I was, where kind of I almost ended up doing the stuff that I ended up doing by virtue of being one of the last people standing. I came up with a generation of very young, very talented writers, um, not including myself, I was kind of a hanger-on, but I came up with that very talented pool of people um, towards the, you know, the early 10s, the, the late 2000s early 10s and I kind of watched as those people many of them had to leave the sector you know start families buy houses you know because they couldn't find the work that could sustain them and I think that yeah I, I was because of the luck that I had where I was doing this kind of recreationally um, and where I was able to work another job that could support myself I was able to just kind of hang around to a point where I got lucky enough that somebody's like okay there are now spaces in the sector um, would you like to come and fill them? Uh, I'm just not clear as well. I know you said when you started off, you were working in IT as well, and then you had the spare time to to do writing as well. Are are you still at that stage? Are you now a writer, or are you someone who is also a writer? Is there another job? There, there is another job. It is, it is in fact the same job. Um, and again, they are very understanding. I'm very, again, as I said, I'm well aware of how incredibly privileged and lucky I am to be in that position. Uh, where I have an employer who works, you know, a regular 40-hour week, maybe 45 at a push. But that gives me the freedom then to go to screenings, uh, to watch screeners, to write and to review on top of that. Um, so it is, it is, I am not, I would not consider myself a full-time writer. Um, it is not a, a job that unfortunately can keep a roof over my head. Um, it is a secondary source of income and a secondary profession. Uh, which is a shame, but I, you know, I'm, I'm happy enough that I get to do it, you know. About... What percentage or what, how many hours a week would you spend writing and, and well, preparing for writing? I suppose? Uh, this is one that's very hard to, to quantify. So at the moment, say, Pick the Escapist, for example, I am covering uh, five shows live. So I'm covering She-Hulk, I'm covering Andor, I'm covering Rings of Power, uh, I'm covering Lower Decks, and I'm covering House of the Dragon. Um, most of those run, say, about an hour of screen time. You know, the Lower Decks is a half-hour show, She-Hulk is a 45-minute show. So that's five hours of watching those. Um, say I turn about a review of those in about an hour each, that's 10 hours. Uh, and say a new release, it's two hours to watch. Um, if I'm reviewing it in a written form, that's about an hour to cover that. If I'm doing it via audio, it's another half hour on top of that. So I think you're somewhere in the region of about 20 to 25 hours at the moment. And this is kind of like peak output. So that is a quite an, an involved uh, week. And that's on top of working 40 hours in IT. That's on top of working 40 hours in IT, yeah. Okay. That's obviously a passion project for you, I think. That 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 is it exactly. It, it's the kind of thing that I, I wouldn't do if I if I didn't love it, um, which is a terrible thing to have. Like, again, if I had other commitments, this would be something I would have to drop, very unfortunately, you know? 
do you pitch to other publications and so on, or, or have you ever done that? I know you 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 work mostly with escapists, but was it a case of like the independent approached you, or did you approach them, for example? Um, the independent approached me, uh, which was was again very flattering. Dropped into to my Twitter DMs again. Social media has been incredibly. Um, a, a wonderful avenue as much as social media has its problems I think anybody who uses social media will attest to that uh, but if you are a professional trying to get your work out there it is an incredible tool in terms of getting in front of people and getting people to read it and getting people to go we should talk uh, let's talk and let's pitch this stuff uh, I do pitch to other outlets um, I don't do it regularly because I don't have time uh, but every once in a while I'll be like okay I see an open call for pitches I should do stuff uh, with that and that hasn't been particularly lucrative for me. I get the sense, and again, uh, this is the other half of the experience I just described. I get the sense that in a lot of cases, people, editors in particular, like to work with people they already know, which is understandable if you're in an industry where profit margins are very low, turnaround is very tight, and you need to work with people who you know can deliver what you want in the time that you want it to, you know? So I, was, I mean, at the beginning, your, your own blog, the movie blog was basically the calling card that got you noticed and, and escapist would would you say that escapist is now a calling card that allows you to move into other areas like the independent or at this stage do you know is it a case of you've got your 40 hours a week that you've got on the day job and then another 20 there's not really the time to be selling and pitching and looking to move on to another gig or find better paying gigs that's that's a rather long way of, of summarizing what you're at at the moment. Uh, are you looking to find other writing gigs, or are you content where you are? Um, I am mostly content with with where I am at the moment. Um, in that, like, if a job did come along, and again, this is the thing where I I kind of I feel like I'm a terrible subject for an interview series like this, where it's I basically stumbled almost by luck into where I am today. Um, but if, if a job were to present itself, if, say, The Independent were to come on and say, actually, we would like you to come on as a writer for us for, uh, you know, two or three times a week for a set salary or for a set amount, uh, I would certainly look at that as a possibility in terms of moving. But yeah, I'm, I'm not at a stage where I'm actively kind of pursuing work on top of the work I already have. In fact, I, I you know, I do feel a little bad that I've neglected, say, my own personal writing, the stuff that I used to write about on the movie blog, which was insanely personal, insanely esoteric, and insanely specific, where I would do things like discuss Chris Carter's Millennium uh, at length, or I'd cover every 90s Star Trek episode. The kind of stuff that only I really care about, um, and nobody will ever pay me to do. And I do feel a little bit like I miss some of that sometimes, but on the other hand, it's also like I, as you said, it's a, a larger platform, it means I'm actually professional. It means I'm actually being compensated for the work that I'm doing. Uh, and I enjoy doing it. So it's, you know. I was half expecting you to re to go back and redo Babylon 5 after the announcement that it's going to be launched. <laughs> uh, I mean, again, if there were time, if only there were time. Uh, I still haven't done all of The Next Generation. That's the big gap that I have. I've covered every Star Trek episode between like 1966 and 2004. And the big gap is like the fourth season of The Next Generation onwards. And it's like, that taunts me. Every time I look at the blog, I'm like, that's what I need to consider this project complete, but I will never find the time to do it. I'm not sure that you're a, a terrible or bad example uh, for writers either. Um, I mean, I, I know freelancers who basically make a living out and this is their full-time position, but 
for other people, um, it's it's also often a part-time position. Either, you know, they have other family commitments or um, in some cases they're former staff journalists who were who are now retired and working part-time too. I don't think your experience is necessarily untypical of, of freelance writers. Um, you know, in addition to which, what I think is interesting is that you are not someone who is solely selling to Irish outlets. You are someone who has expanded into what I think for us is something that we're very fortunate to have. We're through accidents of history, we all speak English and America is the biggest market, particularly for online publications. And I think that the things that you do there are quite interesting or one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you. Yeah, no, I got very, very lucky with the American kind of outlets. And this is one of the weird things to talk about in terms of talking about being a freelance journalist, where the Irish market is is interesting, but it's also very small by, by virtue of like the number of publications there are, the number of consumers there are, the amount of money that those outlets have to pay freelancers, and the amount of material that they're interested in generating. And, and even like in terms of dealing with the studios over here, where, because obviously if I'm reviewing films, I, I need to interact with the studios that are releasing and distributing them over here. It can be very difficult to, to kind of get into that conversation if you're not already established. Now, I should be clear, a lot of the studios are very generous and very nice. A large part of the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is because when I was starting out, people like Paramount um, or people like Warner Brothers, single out two studios were like, we like what you're doing, we should treat you like you are an actual journalist because I didn't I, I didn't understand how freelancing worked I didn't understand how reviewing worked I was like I'll upload the cinema over the weekend and I'll write my review on Sunday and it was some of the studios actually reached out and they said would you like to come and see it on Tuesday instead and then have the review out for the release on Friday I'm like that's how this works um so I got very lucky in that sense but what I found is it's interesting that I'm because I write for an American outlet um the American process, because it's dealing with a much larger number of outlets, a much larger number of freelancers, and with companies that are obviously have much larger footprints over there, it, it's somehow, and I want to be very careful saying this, easier to be taken seriously, if that makes sense, in terms of, like, as an American critic, as somebody who writes even for, and The Escapist is not a huge American site. It's not IGN, for example. It's not Wired or any of those. It's a, it's a, I don't want to be rude to the escapists. They've been very nice to me. It's maybe a B or a C tier site uh, in terms of like its coverage of geek culture. Uh, but even then I found it, it's re it's a lot easier being an American journalist and being able to talk to media companies, to arrange things like interviews, to arrange things like screeners, um, to basically get, contribute, you know, get the material that makes it possible for you to do your work, if that makes sense. I also note, um, because I spend a fair amount of time listening to different podcasts that you tend to show up on different podcasts. And... <laughs> I'm inescapable. <laughs> I, I will notice like on your Twitter feed, you will post every week or second week, there will be a link to a podcast discussing a, uh, a classic 70s sci-fi movie or an episode of Star Trek or something. Uh, usually one of those long deep dive you know, most podcasts that I tend to go for, I tend to favor sort of like 20, 25 minutes length. Some of these are over an hour into two hours. Uh, is is that something that basically happens as promotional work to keep your brand name out there? Or is that also, I mean, is that also working journalism, something you're paid for? Or is it is it advertising? 
Uh, I'm paid to do the Escapist podcast. That's the extent of it. So when they do like the recap or something like that, I, if you see me pop up talking about like Invasion of the Body Snatchers or like the Parallax View or whatever, that's typically someone I know has reached out and said, would you like to come on and talk about it? And as, you know, first of all, when somebody asks you, it's always nice to be asked. Uh, and the second thing is that it, it's like, it, you kind of, pay it forward if, if you're if it that doesn't sound too self-aggrandizing or too flattering it's like i ask people all the time to do things for me so i co-host a podcast called the 250 which is not monetized in any way shape or form and in no position to be monetized and not something that i'm ever looking to monetize um but it is something where i ask people to give of their time to talk about movies that they love and to talk about them with us and i feel like if i'm doing that if somebody asks me to go and to talk about something i I'm comfortable talking about it would be churlish for me not to it would be kind of I don't know selfish sounds very self-aggrandizing but it would be it would be unfair of me to say no my time is is not is too much to give to that you know and also I just I enjoy doing it as well it's always fun to get to talk nonsense about the Borg for three hours for someone who was starting out and looking to sell into uh particularly into pitching into American markets, would you have any suggestions or insights that you would that you could share or yeah I, I mean I think I mentioned it earlier, but social media is is very important um, in terms of your brand and in terms of getting the message out there. Um, I am on Twitter, I am not on Facebook. Uh, I was never on Bebo. I am a very like I almost reluctantly arrived on Twitter, which is something people who read my Twitter feed refuse to believe because I am apparently very, very on Twitter. Um, but I arrived on it as a way of getting the message out there, of getting kind of stuff shared, of getting people to see it. And Twitter seemed like it was the best social media for me in that I, you know, I'm not somebody who has an eye for Instagram or Instagram stories. Facebook seems like it's too committed. It takes too much time. It's too old. It's, it's maybe perhaps too old. I say, I, oh, tr trust me, I, I think I'm on the on the cusp of the Facebook demographic at least. Um, but thank you very much. But um, it, it also felt like Twitter was a low energy commitment, whereas you, you, you bash off at the time it was, what, 140? Now it's 280 characters. So you're sitting down, you're waiting for a bus and you have a thought and you just send it out into the world. Um, and therefore it doesn't end up eating too much time. And it's also something you can do easily while you're doing other things. So if I'm, you know, planning an article or whatever, I can jot out a quick Twitter thought about something else entirely unrelated. Uh, and I do find that that is, is very useful. Most of the contacts that I've made, as we've talked about in this kind of forum, have been through that. Like Nick approached me through Twitter. Um, the Irish Independent approached me through Twitter. The, the invitations that I get to appear on podcasts primarily come through Twitter DMs. Um, and that that has been kind of invaluable. Um, I don't know how many more have come through, say, the contact forum on my website. A couple of them have. Um, but I can't think of any other way that they have. Like, my email is my email. I don't put my email out on the internet for good reason, um, for very sensible reasons, I would argue. Um, so, yeah, social media, getting your message out there would be the key. And I think if I, if I and again, this is, this is where I worry I'm pontificating, but I think... And, and again, this is something where it feels like perhaps I'm, I'm excusing some of the challenges facing the industry. But if you if somebody listening to this does want to break into the market, what I would argue is is write about the things that you care about. Um, write about the things that interest you. Don't necessarily write to the market. Uh, don't write to what you think people want to hear. I think that people detect passion. I think that passion is contagious. 
I also think that if you are writing to the market, you're competing against absolutely everybody else who's doing the same thing. I think if you find a niche for yourself, something that interests you. So, I mean, Jared mentioned it there. If you are the next great Babylon 5 uh, article writer, go and be that. Um, because that's a less crowded sphere. It's easier to carve out an identity for yourself. Um, and I think I got very, very lucky with that, where I would like point to one of my early boosts, arguably, was, you know, writing X-Files recaps, going episode by episode through the X-Files. And who cared about the X-Files in 2013, you know? Um, and then what happened is an American comedian called Kumail Nanjiani launched a podcast that was massively successful. And he was like, oh, this Irish kid seems to have strong opinions about the X-Files. And that ended up drawing attention to my work, which allowed me to sell a book that I wrote about the X-Files, uh, which Kumail very kindly contributed a very flattering introduction to. Uh, but that was something that, like, when I started writing those reviews in 2013, I was like, I'm doing this for me. Nobody in the world is going to care about this. Uh, and I just got really, really lucky. So I would, I would argue, if you do want to kind of branch out, use social media. And also um, write about the things that care that you care about that matter to you. If you were starting over, what would you do differently next time? That's very interesting. I I don't know, and that that sounds like I'm very kind of contented, where it's like I'm exactly where I want to be. But it's like I feel like anything that I would do differently would feel like a calculated move, and any calculated move that I would make would feel like I would be immediately measuring uh, risk and reward. And I feel like if I did take those gambits earlier on, if I did try to write in such a way as to break out earlier, if that didn't happen, uh, I would give up and I would never break out at all. Uh, I feel like the career that I had has been kind of very lucky uh, that I ended up where I did. I don't know if I could get there any faster. If you were to like place me back at the beginning with all the knowledge that I have now, I don't know that it, I would be... I would get where I was going any faster. I worry I may even end up overplaying my hand and not ending up here at all. So I, I, it's a terrible answer to the question you asked, but I'm not sure I would do anything differently. I know you mentioned uh, X-Files, and as I understand from your profile, you also have a book about the films of Christopher Nolan. Yes. Uh, are you working on anything like that at the moment? I was. Um, this So I... I my little pandemic project was I also wrote a book on Doctor Who as well. That was my little kind of pandemic project for me. Um, the issue is I don't really have as much time anymore to do the book stuff. The book stuff came quite early in my professional career, it came a couple of years before I joined The Escapist. Um, and, you know, in some ways perhaps served as a calling card. And again, it, it's like, I don't, I don't want to oversell it. That's not a massive amount of my income. I'm not going to retire on the royalties from writing a critical history of the X-Files or a critical history of Christopher Nolan. Uh, but it is something that's nice and kind of shows that you are serious about what you're doing. I am not doing anything at the moment. I had got a pitch in. I put a pitch in around about 2019. Uh, to McFarland's, the, the academic publisher who published the Exiles book and the Nolan book around fandom. Uh, but basically what happened around that time is fandom went completely wild and the project just basically escaped me. Uh, where it was like, if I had managed to have write that six months before uh, I had pitched it, it would be the perfect book. But the time that like it landed at that and it's like, oh, suddenly I have to add a new chapter to account for what is happening with Disney Star Wars. Suddenly I have to add a new chapter to account for what's happening with Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, and it just kind of grew and became an unmanageable project. And to be frank, I also began working at The Escapist, covering a lot of the material that would have been in the book anyway. 
And it began to feel like it was kind of taking my work home with me, if that makes sense. You know, I was kind of writing about what I was living to a certain extent. And uh, that that project kind of fell apart. I'm maybe looking at pitching something, but it won't be it won't be it'll be a while before that will be further along. My next question on following from that was going to be whether you had self-published on Kindle or through other means, which you mentioned McFarland's. Uh, yeah. It's not a name I'm familiar with. Who are they and how did you meet them? They're an academic press uh, in the US um, and they are actually... Uh, I, I self-published a collection of articles I've written for the website back in 2013, past the popcorn, uh, which sounds like a bit of medical advice rather than a book of fi uh, film criticism. Um, I think I made a total of 10, maybe $15 uh, from selling that on Kindle. Um, but the McFarlane stuff, I think, came about through conversations where after the X-Files started to gather momentum, after the show started coming back, I did pitch a book on the X-Files to various publishers. And in fact, actually, there was a bit of an explosion of X-Files related critical histories that came out around the same time. I think that you had like, um, sorry, Emily uh, Emily St. James's and Zach Hanlon's history of the X-Files. Uh, is it Monster of the Week came out around the same time as well. So I, it happened that McFarlane were the, the, the company that got back to me. Uh, and I managed to actually foster a fairly decent working relationship with them as well. They're a very, they're an academic publisher that is is very interested in nurturing young talent. Um, their royalty scheme is is very generous, having talked to people in the industry, particularly people in academic book publishing industries as well. And I still every once in a while get a residuals check from them, which is, is great for a book that was published at this stage uh, six years ago. I would absolutely kind of like if you if you do want to go down that line, McFarland's would be a publisher I would wholeheartedly recommend. How many how many publishers did you pitch to, or did they approach you again? Uh, I I did I I aggressively pitched that one. I am not I would couldn't put a number on it, but I put somewhere in the region of say fifteen to twenty uh, publishers specializing in nonfiction academic work, which is quite a relatively small market. Um, and, or at least it wasn't in my experience when I was a, a humble, whatever age I was, kind of stumbling around the internet looking for somebody who might be interested in publishing a book about the X-Files. Um, so yeah, so, so it was like 20 and then one got back to me. Uh, and that one turned out to be a very supportive publisher. I was very, very lucky with that. And was it a case of you sent them an outline or sample chapters or how did you work that process? I basically used the articles I'd already written as like sample materials for them. Um, and now, to be fair, they did say they do typically ask for sample chapters. So if you you pitch and they'll write back and they'll say, can you give us a sample chapter? Um, they said, well, actually, the material you've written, that's good enough for us. Um, the benefits of having a back catalog or a back library is that it works like this. Um, and they're like, OK, but you would have to write something completely different. I think the original pitch was I wanted to write a book that would be a condensed collection of my reviews of the show, uh, basically just a, a physical copy or a physical counterpart to the online reviews. They very rightly made the point, why would anybody pay for something that they can read online for free? So would you retool the project and make it instead just a comprehensive creative history of the show from beginning to end that looks at the larger arcs and the larger history and places in its context in terms of television. You know, you'll obviously be using a lot of the same material, the research materials that you had when you're writing the reviews, but it'll just be a, you know, something that is different. Um, so yeah, it was, I, I pitched them originally a collection of kind of my essays that I'd already written and they came back and they said, okay, well actually what if you wrote basically a, a book, an actual book from beginning to end with a clear narrative arc context and history. And that's kind of how that project developed. And after that, it was a process of writing the manuscript, sending the manuscript in, 
conversing with editors, having a very constructive uh, engagement with editors um, in terms of like trimming stuff, in terms of what I need to source, what I didn't need to source. Uh, you know, again, conciseness. Listeners who are only listening to this podcast may get a sense that I'm prone to ramble, um, but you do get it. It was a very constructive process. And and basically at the end of it, I had a little book, which I'm still very, very proud of. Okay. Um, I'll post your uh your links and so on in the uh, notes for this as well. So if anyone wants to uh, follow up and, or I assume they're available on sort of Amazon and so forth, if anyone want, would want to read your work. Yeah, so I on. mean, uh, just a quick Google of Darren Mooney will bring stuff back. Um, if you want to keep, I mean, it, this is a freelance forum. You're probably well aware of this. Muckrack is very, very good for that sort of stuff where it'll concatenate all your work that you've done um, across multiple sites. So you can track and see every article I've written online there. If you want to buy books, yeah, you can buy them from Amazon. You can buy them from Barnes and Nobel, wherever, wherever you feel comfortable. You can also, uh, and this is something I'm, I'm very you know, proud of and would encourage people to do if you don't want to buy my books, uh, if they are, if they are a bit expensive, uh, cause they are academic books and you want to read them anyway, what you can do is you can ask your local library to get them into stock. Uh, and they will do that because obviously they have budgets specifically for that. Um, so that is an alternative as well. If you look at them and you go, those are quite pricey for what seems to be a history of a show that is now over. Um, but you can you can do that if you want. All right. Uh, thank you, Darren Mooney, for talking to me. And for everyone listening, stay safe and take care. This has been the Freelance Forum podcast with Jared Cunningham. The forum is brought to you by the Dublin Freelance Branch of the National Union of Journalists and made possible by network funding from the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland's Sector Learning and Development Programme. Music is from Pod Summit, released under a Creative Commons Zero license into the public domain. I'm Jared Cunningham. Thanks for listening. Take care and stay safe.